Good evening, everyone, and welcome to our Wednesday evening Bible study and our digital campus. We are glad that you have chosen to be with us tonight, and we are looking forward to a great Bible study in our series, this two-week series on From Eternity to Eternity, and uh, it's going to be an exciting time. Before we turn there, let me mention to you also one other thing, and in fact, I'm going to share my screen real quick to be able to to uh, share this with you. And uh, so one of the things that we're in the midst of is we're coming up on Thanksgiving. And as we're coming up on Thanksgiving, we are supporting um, folks in this time with a food drive. And uh, if you would like to participate in that, all you need to do is go to newyorkupc.info, website that you should be familiar with either by name or having visited there. We push it to you every single broadcast, and you can find out all kinds of information about our digital campus, our small groups, general information. But if you want to help us with our food drive, all you have to do is click give, and uh, there you will pick the amount that you want to give. I just put a dollar in for the example, and then you will notice which funds. And in addition to our normal tithes, offerings, and missions, you will see Thanksgiving food drive. And so if you'd like to participate in that, you can help us out and uh, and do that. All right. So again, that's newarkupc.info. All right. Our guest tonight is not a guest. It is our connections pastor, but Desi Lugo, and uh, he is going to be joining us. I hope there he is. He's going to be joining us tonight for the Bible study. So Desi, let me get out of your way, and uh, I'll turn the next thirty minutes or so over to you as you talk to us about the topic tonight in our series from eternity to eternity. Take it away. Absolutely. Well, welcome, church family, and any guests who may be watching. We are glad that you are with us tonight. And I'm glad to be doing this Bible study. Before we begin, before we even begin, let me also say today is November 11th. And so it is Veterans Day. And so I just want to say a quick thank you. I am the son of a soldier. My father is retired military. And not just my father, but there are millions of men and women across this country who have served their country in order for us to maintain our religious liberties, such as the ability to publicly broadcast like tonight and do a Bible study. And so to all our veterans out there, I just want to say thank you for your service. Now, having said that, let's get back to our topic at hand. Desi, I'm going to pull rank for just a moment and also... Okay. Today happens to also be right alongside of all of our great veterans that you just honored. It is my yeah. mama's 82nd birthday. So everybody, we can't, you can't hear it, but put your hands together and give Mama Beardsley a big so, old hand clap. Eleanor Beardsley, happy birthday to you as well. Absolutely. Happy 82nd birthday. All right. All right. So coming into tonight's Bible study, we've been for the last two weeks talking about this idea of from eternity to eternity, and more specifically, what people often refer to as heaven. And so when we first put this series together, I knew that there was a particular Bible study topic that I wanted to engage with, and that's where we're going to turn tonight. And so forgive me, you're going to have to buckle up and pay attention, because in order to get this in, I've got to go really fast. I have at least two hours worth of material that I have tried to still down to about 30 minutes. And so tonight, as we do this, I'm going to have to move really, really fast, but pay attention, take notes if you have to. And then I'm trying to leave enough time for our Q&A. Stephen's going to join me at that point again, and we'll be interacting with everybody as we do that. So tonight, as we're getting close to the end of this series on From Eternity to Eternity, 
or in other words, talking about this idea of heaven, hopefully by now you've realized that heaven is kind of a big umbrella term that actually incorporates multiple different biblical theologies and aspects. And when we say heaven, we tend to kind of flatten multiple different things in scripture down to the idea of what happens in the life after. In other words, once I die, what next? And that's kind of umbrella what we're talking about with heaven. When we look at the biblical story, you've probably seen by now that actually the Bible doesn't tell us much. We get a few glimpses, just a few snapshots of what this is going to look like. So tonight, I want to go to a very, very specific snapshot, and I want to talk about Revelation chapter 21 and 22, the last two chapters in your Bible. But before I can get there, I have to back up and I have to set the stage properly so that way we can fully appreciate what John the Revelator was doing as he closed out this apocalyptic piece of literature. Now, in order to do this, I'm going to go extremely fast through what is the meta-narrative of the Bible. And when I say meta-narrative, what am I talking about? I am talking about the overall story that connects the dots from Genesis all the way through to Revelation. And so the meta narrative is the meta, in other words, the large, the big narrative, the big story, the big idea that connects all of scripture together. And when you look at your Bible, we're going to come up to the 10,000 foot level. We're a couple miles up in the air and we're looking down at the Bible landscape. And I'm going to go very, very quickly. And I'm just going to hit a few key highlights that we have to keep in mind in order to actually properly understand what's going on in Revelation chapter 21 and 22. And so tonight, to try and help me keep track of my time, I'm going to read a lot. And so forgive me, I have a fair amount of notes tonight. When we begin this meta narrative and we look at the Bible in Genesis 1, chapter 1, we have what I am calling a macro, a large creation account. This is a Hebrew poem, and it gives a very high level poetic overview of the creation of our earth, the creation of our realm, and how God interacts with humanity. And so, in seven time periods, in these seven days, if you will, God creates the earth. That's Genesis chapter one. When we get to Genesis chapter two, now we've got the same story, but told from a little bit of a different perspective. We've focused in a little more, and now we're going to go to a micro, a smaller level creation story. And specifically, we're going to talk about Eden. And so in Genesis chapter two, we get the story of God doing Eden and where he comes to dwell with mankind. And I'm going to get to that in just a moment. And then in Genesis chapter three, we get the destruction of that story. So before we get to Genesis chapter three, let's keep a couple things in mind. Earlier in this series, Leela talked about the idea that God has put eternity in our hearts. From the very beginning of our story, it was God's intention that we would dwell with him forever. Forever. Death is a consequence of sin and our brokenness. His original design was for man, or I should rather say humanity, to dwell with him forever. And then Arash, I think, probably distilled down, and all the things we've talked about, I think he's done the best job of distilling this down. If you want to know what heaven is, the simplest definition that we can give you that stays true to the scriptures is that heaven is to spend forever or eternity with Jesus. Let me repeat that because you've got to keep that in mind. Heaven is to spend forever with Jesus. And so when we understand that, we can get a better idea of what's going on. Now, I 
I'm going to try something. I am not, hear me, I am not an artist. I have very, very little artistic ability. I am not someone who does visual stuff. But before this broadcast tonight, with a pencil and a piece of paper doing stickman drawings, yes, you heard me, stickman drawings, I tried to create a word picture, if I could, at what this theology looks like in Genesis chapter 2. And so the first picture that I want to show you is this idea of heaven touching earth. When we look at this, what we've got is this idea of the earth down here, and here's your tree of life, and here's Adam and Eve, and you've got heaven above, the abode of God. And Eden was this weird place where God deliberately intersected with earth. See the dotted lines kind of representing this overlap. Eden was where God and humanity came together. So Eden represented heaven. Eden represented the place where God directly interacted with humanity, Adam and Eve. And you can go back and read about him coming down in the cool of the evening and walking in the garden and visiting and talking with them. And so heaven touched earth at Eden, where God came and manifested his presence, and he was there and he dwelt with Adam and Eve. The next thing I want to show you, and forgive the very, very basic drawing, is the ancient Near East, if you hear me say A-N-E, the ancient Near East understanding of what the heavens and the earth look like. And in this picture, what we have is the earth down here. And to give full credit to where it's due, this is not unique or new with me. I thank you, John Walton. He expanded my thinking on this and helped me to better understand how much of the Genesis narrative puts together. And so if you want a more in-depth look at this, go look at John Walton's material on Genesis. So we have the earth, and here's Adam and Eve, and again, they're in Eden. And in the ancient world, they saw the earth as having this deep cavernous space below it. The Hebrew word is Sheol. The Greek word is Hades. It was the idea of the realm of the dead. And it wasn't good or bad. It's just simply where all of the dead belonged. The living lived on the earth. The dead belonged below the earth. And the pillars, or you could say the foundations of the world, you probably recognize that language from the Old Testament, held up the earth. And below the earth is where the dead were. And then way up above in Genesis, it even represents this, there's this firmament above, some sort of barrier that was at the top of Eden, the top of the earth. And above that was the sun and the moon and the stars. It was the heavenlies. It is where God dwelled. So in the ancient mind, you have the earth, you have the realm of the dead below the earth, and then way up above the earth in the heavenlies is where God dwells. And so picture Eden as where God comes down and he meets with earth, and there's this overlap this space where heaven and earth touch and God dwells with Adam and Eve. But unfortunately, we get to Genesis chapter three and they rebel and they grasp, to use Paul's language, they, they reach out and try to snatch something that doesn't belong them. And in the rebellion, when they eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they have now rejected God's plan for them. And without realizing the full consequences of what they did, they took that picture of heaven touching earth, that Eden, and they fractured it. And so if you're looking at my screen, you can see 
that here we still kind of have this Eden picture. You can barely see it in the background, but now it's broken. Think of it like a stained glass picture and it's been shattered or a really beautiful frame and it's been broken pretty much beyond repair. You can barely see what was intended to be. And in this fractured state, the rest of the Bible takes place. So from Genesis chapter three forward, we don't have what God intended. And this includes death. And if you remember from earlier in this series, death is actually a mercy. We see death as defeat. We are scared of death because we don't understand what comes beyond. But God back in Genesis three recognized that his design was for them to live forever. But now they've rebelled and their life is full of sin and it's going to be full of pain and toil and evil and the consequences of their rebellious choice. And so as a mercy, God instituted death so that they would not spend forever in that miserable, broken, fractured, tortured state. All right. That's not even doing it justice, but there's my quick Genesis overview. When we jump forward in the story of Genesis to chapter, I should say Genesis creation account, one more point we're going to pull out of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 11, we have the story of Babel. Why is Babel important? Because it's at the story of Babel. It's the last time that humanity is truly united in an effort. And again, they're trying to reach up to the heavenlies, and they are trying to touch where God dwells. They are still grasping at something that isn't theirs. And so God confuses their language. And the practical result of confusing their language is that it began to separate man into different groups. And from that, we get different language groups. And rolling forward over the course of thousands of years, you've got all these different ethnicities and they don't talk to each other and they don't communicate properly and they don't understand each other. And so as a result of sin, what happens is it creates this us versus them barrier or to use Jewish language, which Paul repeats over and over throughout the New Testament. You have the Gentiles and the Jews, those on the inside and those on the outside. And so from Genesis 11, not only are we rebellious and broken and fallen, now we are fighting and conflicting with each other, and we don't have a proper way to communicate together. Roll forward into Exodus. Exodus is the story of how God separates out a chosen people for himself, takes them out of bondage and slavery. It's a rich metaphor I can't dive into. And he says, you are to be separated and holy unto me and be an example to the rest of the earth so they can see what it's supposed to look like when God dwells in community with a group of people. That's Exodus. Now, you get to the historical books, and this is the fascinating part of the Old Testament. The historical books are an incredibly faithful chronicle of absolute failure. You heard me right. The historical books are all about how this special people, the nation of Israel, got it all wrong, and they constantly rebelled, and they never did properly live in community with God. Roll forward more. I'm doing high-level picture. We get to the prophets, and what the prophet said is there's somebody coming who's going to fix this mess, and different prophets had different glimpses, just little, little glances way off into the future at who this person was going to be, this specially anointed person who was going to fix this mess. Another way to put that anointed word is Messiah. Messiah means the anointed one. So the prophets looked forward to this Messiah, this specially anointed one who was going to fix this message. Now jump forward into the gospels and Jesus shows up on the scene. And as Meg said, just what, two nights ago, 
I believe it was, or excuse me, last night, I thought she did an excellent job where she talked about the idea that literally Jesus was called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Are, are you seeing the picture? So once again, heaven has come down and touched earth. And this time, God has taken on humanity himself. Use biblical King James language. He's robed himself in flesh. God has become human. And now once again, heaven touches earth. God is with us, but it's localized. Colossians, Paul picks up on this idea. And in Colossians chapter two, verse nine, he says, for in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation, and I apologize. I've got to go very fast. But again, we've got this idea. Everything of God that could be contained within a human body is found in Jesus. And it's not just a container. I'm struggling with the proper words because Jesus is fully man. The apostles make that clear, but he's also fully God. And we don't have language to properly describe this, but somehow God became human and heaven touched earth once again but it was localized in a person, the man, Jesus. Get to the end of the gospels. Jesus is leaving and he says, he's going to prepare a place for us. He says, but don't worry, I won't leave you comfortless. I am going to send, and depending on what translation you read, it may say comforter, it may say counselor, it may say advocate. Why the different words? Because we don't have a good English word for this Greek word that conveys all this meaning. And it's all of these things. He's going to send the comforter slash counselor slash advocate, the Holy Spirit. And it's God himself, as he made clear in John's gospel. And he says, I'm going away to prepare a place for you, but I'm coming back in spirit form. And this time I'm going to live inside of you. And it's going to change the way you think. As Paul said, it's going to lead and guide you into all truth, as Jesus said. And then as Paul wrote later in his writings in multiple places, that Holy Spirit is going to seal us like a signet ring from a king. It's going to mark or identify us as God's special people for that future hope and promise that one day we will dwell with him again forever. So watch, Jesus comes and God is localized in a person. Jesus leaves and he says, I send the spirit. And although it's still a very, very broken picture, it's still fractured. The idea is that the Holy Spirit is working in our lives, redeeming us. And we are now little tiny glimpses of heaven, little just pinpricks of light in a very, very dark world scattered all over the globe. And they point to this idea that someday God is still going to put everything back together. And heaven will be to spend forever in the presence of God. Then we get to the epistles. These are the instructions by these early church elders as they told this new church. I skipped Acts. Excuse me. Acts is the birth of the church as this Holy Spirit comes to live inside of them. And then we get to the epistles where these New Testament elders are writing instructions to God's peoples on how they live in a broken world. How do you live in a world full of darkness and let your light shine as Jesus talked about? How is it that you are changed from something corruptible into something incorruptible? To use Paul's language, how do we take off the clothing of our own man and we strip off this coat and we put on a new coat? 
and the fruit of the spirit manifests itself in us and our life begins to be changed and people look at us and they see through all of our brokenness and all of our cracks, there's light shining out of those cracks and it points them to something bigger and better. And then finally, we get to Revelation. And in this apocalyptic literature, and you can look that up later if you're not familiar with that, you need to keep that in mind because that's the writing style. Revelation is not written like the rest of the epistles. In fact, the only other book in the Bible that we really kind of have like Revelation is the second half of Daniel in chapter 7 through 12. And it's a very specific style of writing that I don't have time to explain at the moment. But you get to this apocalyptic literature. And John is painting this picture of what is going on in the heavenlies. Remember that picture I showed you earlier where you've got earth and then the heavenlies up above the firmament? And John is carried away in this vision to what's going on in this spiritual realm where God and all of these angelic and spiritual beings dwell. And God is having court and he is deciding that time is up and he is coming back to earth and he is going to judge the world. And he's going to separate out righteousness from wickedness. And there's all these different mixed metaphors and images that talk about what's going to happen as God returns. Oh, there's so much here, and I just don't have time to go into it. Like I said, I'm trying to take a two-hour lecture and crunch it down to 30 minutes. And then we get towards the end of what's going on in the book of Revelation. And we get to the really, really exciting part. We get to Revelation chapter 21 and chapter 22. And if you do a slow read, and you all should know what a slow read is, we've talked about that many times, I encourage you this week after tonight to go do a slow read of Revelation 21 and 22, and the language should sound incredibly familiar to you. This should tickle something in your brain where you go, I've seen this before. This sounds a little bit different, but at the same time, very familiar. And the reason is because John has purposely crafted the end of this apocalyptic letter to sound very, very much like the creation account that we got back in Genesis 1 and 2. And so actually Genesis 1, 2, and 3, these themes are picked back up in Revelation chapter 21 and chapter 22. And so rather than just simply talk about it, I'm going to try and share another note, this time coming from Word, it's nothing basic, or excuse me, it's very basic, it's nothing fancy, but I want you to look at this comparison of Genesis 1 and 2 as it compares with Revelation chapter 21 and 22. In Genesis 1-1, God creates heaven and earth. In Revelation 21 verse 1, there is a new heaven and earth. In Genesis 3-8, God walks in the garden at the evening time. In Genesis, excuse me, in Revelation 21, verse 3, God lives among his people. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 10, there is a river that flows through the Garden of Eden. In Revelation 21, verse 6, God gives springs of water of life, and it's a rich metaphor, and you see this river flows directly from the throne room at the center of this realm, and it flows out, and it starts as a little trickle, and it keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and this life-giving water flows out of this heavenly realm, out of this new Jerusalem, this newly rebuilt city where God lives with his people, and it 
again, I don't have time to get into all of it, but we see creation made anew and sustained by the life of this river. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, and then later on in Genesis chapter 1, verses 16 through 18, God creates day and night and the sun and the moon and the stars, the celestial bodies, the heavenlies. In Revelation 21, 23, watch this. There is no need of a sun or a moon because God is the light. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 11 and 29, and then chapter 2, verse 10, God creates fruit trees that are for food. And there's this river in the Garden of Eden, and it's meant to sustain Adam and Eve and all the animals and the wildlife, and they can freely eat from all of this, including the tree of life, except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now we get to Revelation 22, verses 1 and 2, and there's this river in heaven, watch this, with a tree of life once again. So we see a tree of life in Eden, and in Revelation 22, we see a tree of life once again. In Genesis 2, verses 15 through 17, they're given the command that they can eat any fruit except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But watch Revelation 22, verse 14. God's people can eat the fruit of the tree of life. And then it talks about the leaves that grow along these trees that are on the riverbank and they're used for healing. And we don't fully understand what all of this means. But we get this picture in Revelation 21 and 22. I'm going very fast. I encourage you later to go back and do a nice slow read of these two chapters. You will see that it's a reversal of this fractured picture that happened after Eden. Revelation 21 and 22, this is my language, where God hits a cosmic reset button and he starts over. And once again, heaven, the abode of God and earth are connected. It's no joke and it's very intentional that John says at the beginning of Revelation 21 that he saw a new heaven and a new earth and there's this glorified city that comes down from heaven and it touches the earth. And this city that spans between heaven and earth is where God lives with his holy people that have been sealed with his spirit. See, in the beginning, we have God creating a world and structuring it, and it's beautiful, and it's wonderful, and it's good. And on the seventh day, he rested, or better put, he tabernacled with his creation. He came, and he dwelt in community with Adam and Eve. But then they rebel against God, and it breaks that picture, and God pushes them out of the garden. And it's not just a punishment. Hear me. It was a mercy that he separated them and got them out of that garden because if they had stayed in that garden because he designed them to live forever he put eternity in our hearts if they had stayed in the garden they would have spent forever broken they would have spent forever cursed they would have spent forever in torment think of everything you have to deal with and your own pride and your own anger and your own hurt and your own pain and then sickness and disease in your body do you want to live forever like this that's not a blessing. That's a horrible, horrible curse. I've never understood the appeal of immortality in fiction. That's not a blessing. 
But notice how common that theme of immortality is throughout all of fiction, not just in the Western culture, but all over the world, because somewhere deep inside of us, there's an ache and there's a longing to live forever. We know that we're designed for eternity. And God says, I'm going to give you eternity, but I want to heal you first so you can spend eternity in a proper and in a whole state. But watch this. Here's what amazes me, too, because God is so good at taking our brokenness and our rebellion and our sin and turning it around and making it into something even better than we can imagine. In Genesis chapter one, two and three, you have Adam and Eve in Eden with God. But when you get to Revelation, it's no longer Adam and Eve. So this man and this woman pair that are made in God's image and they're supposed to reflect his glory, they've rebelled against him, they've broken covenant, they've fractured and cracked beyond repair, at least from our perspective, what God has intended, but they still go out and they're fruitful and they multiply. And then when we get to the end of the story in Revelation 21 and 22, now, now it's not Adam and Eve who spend forever in eternity with God dwelling with him. See, Paul picked up on this theme in multiple places. I just picked up two passages. I'm going to read out of the New Living Translation. But in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, Paul said, there is no longer Jew or Gentile. That separation between us. There is no longer slave or free, that social class barrier. There's no longer male or female, the gender battles that go on between us. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Let me give you another passage. Again, Paul, let's go to Colossians 3 verse 11. In this new life, what's the new life he's talking about? He's talking about this new life after the spirit comes inside of you and it changes the way you think and it seals with you. It seals you with a promise for the future. This new life where the Holy Spirit is empowering you to change and to live differently in this new life. As Paul put it in Colossians 3.11, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, if you're circumcised, if you're uncircumcised, if you're barbaric or uncivilized, if you're slave or free, Christ is all that matters. And he lives inside. He lives in all of us. And so this is Paul's view of what God is doing with his Holy Spirit. He's knitting things back together. And the first little glimpses of this are found in Jesus. And then they continue to be carried out and repeated over and over and over and over and over. When every single person who is regenerated, who is born again, who has the Spirit come live inside of them. And then one final passage. We're going to jump backwards. We're in Revelation 21 and 22. Let's go back to Revelation chapter 7. And earlier in the book, there's this incredible scene. I'm going to jump into the second half of chapter 7. I'm going to read a few verses, so bear with me. Where John is describing this scene that he sees in heaven in Revelation chapter 7. Starting at verse 9, I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. He says, and after this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count from every nation and tribe 
and people and language. And they were standing in front of the throne and before the lamb. And they were clothed in white robes and they held palm branches in their hand and they were shouting with a great roar. Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the lamb. Do you hear this, my brothers and sisters? John gets this glimpse into eternity and he sees a group of people that is so massive he can't even comprehend it. It is a crowd that is so big it can't even be numbered and they're not just Jews. It's from every nation and from every tribe and from every language and from every ethnic group but they are dressed the same and they're all speaking one heavenly language and with that one united language they're not grasping at heaven like they were in Genesis 11 in Babel. No, 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 no. They have palm branches and they are singing et eternal chorus as they magnify and praise their king. And they say, you are the one who sits on the throne. Do you see what happens in Revelation 7? John got a glimpse of the reversal of Babel. God has finally knit things back together. And when he knit them back together, he didn't just restore Adam and Eve. It's been multiplied over and over and over and over and over again until it's an innumerable multitude. And now eternity is populated not with God and the angelic beings and Adam and Eve. Now eternity is populated with God and all of the angelic beings and innumerable humans, male and female, from every single group and language and tribe. And they all... Are dwelling with God. This is the picture of heaven. But it doesn't stop there. Keep reading. And all the angels, verse 11, were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living beings. And they fell before the throne with their faces to the ground and they worshiped God as they sang, Amen. Amen in response to what the humans were saying. Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength belong to our God forever and ever. Amen. Do you hear eternity popping up over and over and over? Because God designed us to spend forever with him. And then one of the 24 elders asked me, who are these who are clothed in white? Where did they come from? Verse 14. And I said to him, sir, you are the one who knows. And then he said to me, these are the ones who died in the great tribulation. They have washed their robes in the blood of the lamb and made them white. And let me pause right here. Notice these are just those who have died in the tribulation and John can't count them. This isn't even a picture of all of eternity. This isn't even a picture of everyone who's there. This is just simply John's glimpse into those who died in a great tribulation because they refused to acknowledge any other king but Jesus. And I love this. We pick up on this language. When we think of heaven, we go here. Revelation chapter 7, verse 15, that is why they stand in front of God's throne and they serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will give them shelter. Verse 16, they will never again be hungry or thirsty. They will never be scorched by the heat of the sun for the lamb on the throne will be their shepherd. Second half of Revelation 7, verse 17, he will lead them to springs of life-giving water. Where'd you see that water language? We get to it in Revelation 21 and 22. He will lead them to springs of life-giving water. And we all know this phrase, and God will wipe away every tear from their eye. When we get to this restored Eden, where heaven touches earth, 
There's an innumerable multitude. And they spend forever directly in the presence of their creator who has now been manifested in Jesus. They will see Jesus and spend forever with him. And that, my brothers and sisters, is the true picture of heaven. More than anything else, if you get nothing else, what happens after we die? There's a bunch of questions we can't answer, but I can assure you of this. At some point, we will spend forever with Jesus if we're filled with his spirit and sealed with that promise. And it will be a physical, material existence. That is the hope of the resurrection that Paul so eloquently put in 1 Colossians 15. And so I encourage you this week to go back and do a slow read of Revelation 21 and 22 and see how it is the reversal of all the sin and brokenness that has crept in throughout our story. And so the meta narrative starts in Eden in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, and it arcs all the way over into Revelation 21 and 22, and it ends where it begins with heaven touching earth and God spending forever with his creation. If that doesn't excite you, if that doesn't give you hope, I don't know what to tell you. Can you feel God's presence right now? Oh, thank you, Jesus. Stephen, you can come back on and get ready for questions. But as we do, can you take a moment with me and just simply thank God for this incredible, mind-blowing, beautiful picture of what is to come? Jesus, we don't even grasp or understand everything that you have planned. Thank you, Lord Jesus. It is beyond our imagination. Hallelujah. But even with our limited understanding, oh, thank you, Jesus. You tell us that you have a hope and a future for us where we will spend forever with you. Amen. 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 All right. So straight out, Desi. Uh, first question. Sure. Any way we can get the full two-hour lecture sometime soon? <laughs> I don't know about sometime soon, but I'll give you a hint of it. In the middle of this meta narrative, you can go back in our archives. I don't know where it is. I took one Sunday night and I walked through what I call my view of, of cosmology. In other words, the way that heaven and earth all fit together and how God has ordered the universe. And I took a lot of it out of Ephesians. Do you remember that, Stephen? I do. I'm trying to good. think of what your title was. I don't even remember. That was probably three years ago, shortly after we first came. I know it was on a Sunday night, but that's a big piece of it. If you, if you want to get a better idea of at least how, in my mind, all of these pieces are fitting together. I don't, oh, there's so many scriptures firing through my head that I don't have time to get to. One of my favorite, though, go back and read it. It's an amazing scripture that we just whoop, blip right over. In Ephesians 3.10, God says that he has shamed, he has embarrassed those evil powers and authorities in the heavenly realm by pointing to us. God looks at his broken creation that the evil one, the adversary, has tried to destroy. And he says, do you see all those broken pieces? Do you see my light shining through all of their cracks? I'm still going to reverse what you did. I'm still going to fix it. And the proof that I reign supreme and the proof that I am God eternal is them and their redemption. When we get this picture, it will change the way that you look at your life here on earth. 
All right. Anything else? <laughs> no, that, that was the first thing is obviously I wanted to share that with you because there were several comments saying that they needed to just let you roll on for the rest of the night and forget questions. But um, <laughs> I, I also know no, I, I want to do the interaction part where we talk to each that's other. That's correct. And and with things that are rich like this, we have to um, you don't eat a whole cow. You you take a piece. <laughs> And you know what? You could probably eat a whole chocolate cake, but you're going to pay for it later. Absolutely. It's better to have a slice and really enjoy it. That's exactly right. And I also wanted, I requested that Stephen be on this broadcast with me. So Stephen, before we even go to the next question, is there anything else at a high level you'd add to that kind of meta narrative picture? Well, I think there's a couple of questions that will generate some of the, some of the things here. So okay. the, the, another practical one is, is there a way for us to share your comparison where you laid out or is there a resource that we can link up the, the the Genesis comparison to the Revelation comparison, where we see these parallels, even the page that you created? Um, I, we probably could create a link, I believe, in on a, our website. On I our think website, we can do in our that. media. I archive. mean, they're really, really. I mean, if we wanted the drawings, maybe I could scan them. You probably. Oh, everybody loved your drawings. They thought they're you really were awesome. bad. I know they're bad. I wish. Now you're going to hear me plug a resource that I uh, that I often plug is the Bible Project. Those guys know what they're doing. They, 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 they everybody, liked, everybody liked your stick drawings. They thought they were great. So um, well, thank you. And I will to give more credit where it's due. This and I was doing a really bad job, kind of this circular drawings of you know heaven touching earth and all that. Some of that imagery better cemented in my mind, looking at some of the things the Bible project has done. If you're not aware of this, they don't just make Bible introduction videos. They do other videos that cover biblical themes, and they've got a mini series. Each video is, I don't know, seven to 10 minutes long that they do that talks about spiritual beings. I love it. It is the best thing I have ever seen talking about spiritual beings, and they use that language on, on purpose. So go find that on the Bible Project. Altogether, it's maybe 45 minutes to an hour long, and it really, really does a very biblically precise, thorough job of saying what do scriptures actually tell us about the heavenlies. So let me very quickly, before we move on to a couple of content, then Desi, let sure. me just share my screen very quickly. Folks, go to our website, newyorkqpc.info. This media tab, if you click on media, what it does is it takes you to all of our different sermons, our podcasts, as we've uh -huh. been broadcasting now six days out of seven. Uh, they're all here. And when you click on those, I'm almost positive that there's a place where we can put an attachment and Desi can attach. Okay, so we'll that. have to play with that. And maybe later right. we can we can scan those pictures and attach those pictures. And Correct. That, so, and that, so look uh, for that on our on our website at that place. All right. Let me stop sharing there and bring us back up. All right. Sure. So that takes care of a couple of uh, a couple of just kind of housekeeping questions. So one question that that comes mm -hmm. to this concept that you dealt with uh do you think there will ever be a time before the time that has been described in Revelation uh, that God will again touch the earth? And depending on how you answer, I have a couple of things that I might add, or you may even touch on them. So, Okay, so in case I wasn't clear, God is touching the earth right now, and it's us. Even in our broken state, all these Being little. There's the first one I don't have to say. <laughs> there's all these little pinpricks of light. In my mind, I picture this. Go. Have you ever seen a picture from a satellite image where it passes over, um, say, Europe or North America or Asia at night? 
and and you, you know you see all these little pinpricks of light from these major metropolitan areas you, you guys know what i'm talking about these nighttime pictures in my mind's eye this is what i see in the spirit realm the earth is dark and there are all these little pinpricks of light and that's you and me who have been sealed with the spirit and that is god touching earth that's in fact that is expressly how he chooses to touch earth until he comes back and so that's the first thing that I would say. I didn't have time to get to it all. Maybe I can very quickly get to it. Another one, I was thinking about this. This is this great imagery. I just reread 1 Thessalonians. And in 1 Thessalonians is where we pick up this language of those who are dead in Christ shall rise first to go meet him in the air. What's this image of meeting him in the air and why? Well, in the ancient world, when an emperor or a king is coming back from a glorious campaign, think they've won some major victory in battle, and they come to a city for a parade, the city would send emissaries, people, important people, out on the road to meet that emperor before they ever got to the city and then march with him into the city in his parade. And this is the language that Paul picks up on in 1 Thessalonians when he said, those who are dead in Christ will rise first to meet him in the air. What's the meeting in the air? It's when he's coming back to judge the world. But on his way back to judge the world, we will physically be resurrected in those bodies and they will come back with Jesus as he parades back into his creation. But between now and when he comes back, what we often colloquially refer to as that second coming, I can't point you expressly to a biblical image of Jesus touching earth other than through us. What else do you want to say, Steve? Yeah, the only thing I would add to that is, is that, and Desi pointed this out, so let me reference it, is that the incarnation was in fact the first stage of that. So you have God by progression through the Old Testament trying to get back to touching earth. So the tabernacle is a first yes. major image. Then the tabernacle is swallowed up or fulfilled in the temple. Oh, my goodness. And we can't even get to this image, Stephen, but we can go back to John 1 and his opening. And, and it doesn't translate well into English, but you got to understand in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word. OK, and, and, and you go through that John 1 poem and it says and it was tabernacled. Correct. Made flesh, dwelled among us, was with us. So all of this imagery. So in Christ is this, you, you see the first stages with much barriers in the tabernacle and the temple. Then the, the, there's much less barriers. Jesus is with us, but he's located only in one person. He can't be in multiple places at, at multiple times. But notice he's constantly going around touching people. Absolutely. Like physically touching people. And crowds are thronging him and pressing to touch him. And heaven has come to earth, but it's localized. Correct. And in then when he dies, when he dies, there is a symbolic liberation by the, the ripping of the veil of the temple. But yeah. that... that liberation is also jesus says i must go away because if i don't go away i can't come back come back in what form will come back in my spirit form so now he tabernacles in us okay so it's not which is the language of the new testament this language of dwelling within us is this language of tabernacling within Correct. us and it would seem to the question to the person who wrote the question it would seem to myself and i think desi as well i'll ask you to comment or confirm this if if you agree it would seem that scripture says that the next time that heaven touches earth is really this imagery of when Christ returns physically back to the earth. And that's and what I was saying about second coming. My mind went to that, 
Thessalonians passage. Correct. You have the second coming. Second coming. And so really what you have is you have Christ, or excuse me, you have God uh, in contact with humanity as Genesis describes. You have sin that breaks that. God takes several steps, tabernacle, temple being one, then himself Mm -hmm. in human form being the second tabernacle or temple. And then he leaves so that he can come back in his spirit form. And then he will create that new heaven and that new earth. And I, I think that pretty biblically, that's all we've got. And notice we're trying to be very careful in our language because I can point you to many resources and ideas, and that's what they are, our ideas. If I'm going to if I'm going to be true to the biblical narrative, this is what we've got. That's correct. That's exactly right. And and a lot of this we have to trust that God will, that God has given us enough, but he doesn't tell mm. us everything. He doesn't tell us everything. So I, I, I was going to save this till the very end, uh, but I guess I'm going to throw this in here so that we can okay. get it out of the way. So I, I'm going to name this question, writer. okay? So in the midst of this about what we know and what we don't know, your friend Arash, oh, who will not identify further than just the first name, wants to know, do aliens exist and will they be in heaven with us? Arash, you and I can discuss this at length some other time. Here's the short answer. You all ready for this? Because I can answer this one. You ready? Okay, everybody lean in. Make sure you're paying attention. We don't know. (laughs) That's why I knew the question would go right there. Exactly. It's one of those things. And let's take it away from aliens, you know, bug eyes, all that kind of stuff. Are there other... Okay, let me me be be more... uh, Are there other beings? Let me be even more precise. Are there other sentient beings in other words creatures who are self-aware and understand that they exist and have their own thought processes out there besides this earth i don't know without sounding crass it doesn't matter that's not our story please understand that the bible is our story it's not everything that god's up to i am absolutely convinced of that but the Bible is not everything that God's up to. It's a story of what God is doing with us. Meg uh, would like to add, she just commented and said, there are definitely other beings. Arash is another species. So anyway, for those of you that don't know, that's his that's wife. That's his wife. Yeah. yeah. I don't know what that makes their children. You know, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure. Or maybe Meg's another species too. Anyway, let's let's get off of that. We're topic. not going to go there. The point being, though, folks, as crazy as that question is, and Arash likes to stir the pot and we we love him for that, is there are things we do not know. The reason that I put that in there is as you press out into the heavenlies, to use an image, the more you press into the heavenlies, the more you leave the world of humanity and the less you are going to know. And the less concrete what you can say becomes. Because we can't even fathom much of what is there because we are physical creatures and our physicality, our physical existence is very much centered and, and based in the earth. And so that's, that's the challenge uh, of dealing with that. All right, let me turn to a, 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 another one. Okay. Which is, um, this will give you a chance to kind of uh, wiggle a little bit with this. Will we sleep in heaven? Oh, so the short answer is we don't know. But here, let me let me tell you the little bit I can point to. We do see Jesus in this resurrected body and just a few snapshots of him at the end of the Gospels. And in this resurrected body, it's corporal, it's material. In fact, he encourages them. He says, touch me, 
See, see that I'm real. He eats food with them. Does he need to eat food? But he does more than anything else to demonstrate, you know, that, that he's human. I could, I'm not going to do it, but I could throw 20 questions back at you about what else will we do in heaven? And we don't know. Hear me. And this is where our buddy Arash did get it right. If I can distill this entire two weeks down into one statement, he actually, as goofy as he is, he actually did the best at this part. Heaven is to spend forever with Jesus. Please, please, if you get nothing else, get this. Heaven is to spend forever with Jesus. Everything else is superfluous detail that we actually don't even need at this point. And the whole Bible study that you did tonight and that you could spend two hours on is really the statement that we once were with God. Yeah, and we lost it. And we lost it. That's the from eternity to eternity. That's the Sunday night broadcast that I did, which is how did we lose eternity? How do we gain eternity? We mm -hmm. once were with God. And so Arash right. has grabbed the, the, the absolute core of it, the which essence is of it. we are going to be returned to being with God. Yes. Whereas before we're unsure what form God was in, how he interacted with humanity, all of that is, is kind of in the dark. He doesn't reveal that to us. When we get to Revelation, that new heaven and new earth will have God in human form. He yeah. has now a physical existence. He is a spirit being that now has a physical existence, namely Jesus Christ. And so the fullness of the single God of the Old Testament right. is now expressed in human, in human form. In and, and we can grasp that. And we can interact with him. Let me, let me be explicitly clear in case you missed it. When you get to heaven, you will see Jesus. That's right. That's right. All right. So um, I'm... I'm actually doing something a little different, which is pulling out questions, Desi, and putting them into a Word document so I don't lose track because they're. Oh, okay. In. Sure. I know there's a there's a lot of. It looks like there's a lot of chat going on, which is good. Absolutely. For the interaction. We're glad for that. There is. Um. So. Why then? If we have this promise, a question is asked, why do you think we cling to life so much? And then the, the question writer says, I mean, I really want to go to heaven, but not tonight. In fact, there's a great country song. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to go now. Why do we, a, okay, why so do we cling is, to it now? Why do we cling to it? This is a great question. This is an excellent question because this really gets at the core of part of our broken nature. It's fear fear of the unknown. And we don't want that yet because we don't understand it. And so because we don't understand it, we're afraid of it. And so because we're afraid of it, we resist it. So let's break this down even more. We want to control our story. And I can only imagine up until when my heart stops beating and I cannot really get a glimpse of what happens after that. That is not the end of my existence. But I can't really comprehend what happens after that. I can't control that story. It goes back to original sin. Adam and Eve are grasping at something that is not theirs because they want more control of their story than they have. And so even as we are being in redeemed, as we're being redeemed, we still struggle with this and we fear the other side of eternity. Here's another. There's some little 
language things you can do to help you with this. I don't know if you noticed this, but I called it the life after. And thank you to my friend Roy Fisher for helping me understand that years ago. You'll hear people all the time talk about the afterlife. You got that all backwards because your perspective is right now. And compared to eternity, this is a little tiny glimpse. No, 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 no. It's not the afterlife. It's the life after this. And the life after is much more, much, much more. It's so far expensive beyond what we understand right now. But this is what we understand. So we grasp at it and we try to control it. And we're scared of what's beyond there. Now, you could flip on and say, well, then why don't all of our lives just end now so we can go spend eternity with Jesus? Well, that's not healthy either. And so somewhere in the middle, you see Paul wrestling with this in scripture where he says, for me to die is gain. If I die, he's in prison as he writes this. And he says, if I die, then great. I go to be with Jesus. But if I live, it's for your benefit so I can keep working in his kingdom. And so until our life ends, this is the wrestling point that we have to live with until our life here in this broken state ends. Let me be more precise. We wrestle with this idea that I live now for God's glory and to work in his kingdom. But someday when I die, I will go spend eternity with him. And we're caught betwixt and between. We've got one foot in eternity and one foot still in brokenness. And he calls us to live in this state and to trust him, to have faith in him. Do you want to add anything to that, Stephen? No, I don't. One funny note. Uh, one person, uh, in fact, I'll call her out, Sister Betty Jones. Uh, everybody's very much enjoying, enjoying us uh, today and especially your, your, uh, your lesson and the questions that it's generating. Uh, Sister Betty said that she, um, she said, you can get very excited about heaven just listening to the battle of the Bible scholars, laugh out loud. <laughs> I didn't know we were battling, but anyway. I didn't know we were battling, but okay. Yeah, sure. but I'm, I'm glad we're entertaining. Listen, not just entertaining. If this makes you excited about spending eternity with Jesus, great. Absolutely. <laughs> we, we are not, we are not bothered at all. Also, another person, my wife, in fact, is the one who did it. She knows me. I don't like the light when I'm trying to sleep. So she said, if we are sleeping in heaven, because there's no dark, we're going to need blackout curtains in our mansions. So anyway, um, that'll be an interesting mansion is a whole nother discussion altogether, but yeah, I'm not exactly. going to blow that you one mean up. We're not going to have a cabin on the backside of the hill on the other side of the holler in heaven. All right. No, don't answer that. Brain is, okay. I won't. We got, I won't. We got I won't. Other go do a slow read, read it in multiple translations and go look at the notes in the net Bible. <laughs> is it mansion? <laughs> yeah exactly let me move on we're running out of time desi i threw that one out there folks that was like red meat to a lion he was he was ready to go after it but anyway let me hold it off so one of the things that, that one of the questions that that was asked is what can we do for evan ever even after we talk to jesus what's after that one of our more hyperactive members which by the way i'm one of those what what are we doing in heaven Okay, so you're not going to like my answer, but I'll give it to you. If I were to get asked that question, even face-to-face, -face, I would smile and I would say, does it matter? Mm, I think I'll just let that one sit for a minute. <laughs> exactly. Now, right on the heels of that, and, and by the way, that question was a good question because many times we think of being in terms of doing. Yeah. I could 
go off on a tangent there. That's red meat in front of me. I will leave that alone. But you all just think about that. Write that down. Is your being really about what you're doing? Go back and read the Genesis story in Eden. Right. What did they do? <laughs> all right. So very big one. I was going to ask this and somebody else asked it. So now I don't have to ask it because everybody yells at me when I ask this question. Since sin will not enter in, okay, in heaven and this new earth, we won't have free will. <laughs> <laughs> now, De the reason Desi's chuckling folks, <laughs> is he knows that I just slipped one in that nobody likes it when I bring this up. But somebody asked a question; it's a legit question. I'm going to flip it just to be. I will own this part. The person asked that question. We won't have free will. Mm -hmm. Flip it. If free will is a part of our creation in the image of God and this new heaven and new earth are putting things back aright. In other words, the cracked image is being put back aright. Do we have free will? And if we have free will, what does that mean? Oh, okay. So let me just run this out to what you're not stating, which is there. If we really do have free will, can you be kicked out of this new Eden? Can we break it again? You're the expert tonight. I don't have to answer. Watch that. this. Watch this discipline right here. <laughs> and I'm okay with that. It's not. We will have to trust Jesus the whole way through. Or it ceases to be a faith walk. I want you to ask questions. I want you to keep thinking, but listen to me, all of you, don't ever stop asking questions. The rub is when you get hung up and angry because you can't answer them. And that's a sign of our brokenness because we need to control the narrative. And if I can answer all the questions, then I've grasped the power for myself. A faith walk says, I can ask, but I don't have to get an answer. And that really- I'm not in control. And the Garden of Eden was really about them asking a question that God hadn't really given them a full answer of, and they didn't trust. And so then they listened to another being that was willing to offer an answer. It was a false answer. It was a lie. But then it broke it there. It did. Let me ask one final question. We're hard on the hour, but let me ask this. This is probably okay. a way to, to transition. Oh, by the way, I want to throw out uh, the Allen family wanted to make sure that Joyce knew that there was also no mention of a fridge stocked with food. So just like there's no mansion, there's no fridge. We do there. see a marriage supper of the lamb. So Joyce, there's a banquet table. There's some sort of banquet. And we know Jesus liked to eat and he liked to drink. They call he it liked to party. So, he liked to, he liked to celebrate with people. So. Absolutely. So take, here's the take final, that as a little bone. Here's yeah. the final question that, that sure. kind of draws us back to this as we're trying to deal with understanding heaven. What happens when we die? According to the Bible, do we go straight to heaven in air quotes? Or are we waiting for the resurrection? Do we know? Oh, I was so hoping this was going to come up. And of course, you save it till the end, and I'm supposed to answer this in 90 um, seconds. I know. So, so we'll run over slightly here. Go Which ahead. I can. But uh, let's go here. Oh, let's let's go here. Because what we clearly see is a death. And what we clearly see is at some point in an unknown future where heaven touches earth again. What about the interim? So you're not going to like this. I'm going to say we don't know. But 
along with the no, we don't know. Let me let me give you a couple glimpses. And before I even say this, let me say that all through Christian history, Christians have not agreed on this point. Do not make this a test of fellowship. Because we can't be certain on this. But we get two curious little stories in the Gospels about this interim. The first one is when Jesus is talking and he tells this story about a rich man and Lazarus. Now, depending on the translation you read, it might have a heading above it that says the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. And other translations don't. And there's a reason, because Bible scholars don't agree whether or not this is a parable. If it is a parable, then it's different than every other parable that's recorded in scripture. It actually has characters with names and more precise details than the rest of the parables do. So with a massive, massive truckload of caveat, hear me say, this is my opinion. I don't think it's a parable. That's my opinion. And I think Jesus is giving us some glimpse of this interim state. And because I don't believe that it's a parable, what we see is that there's consciousness. There is this somethingness that's described, that Jesus described as Abraham's bosom. There's consciousness on the other side of some divide where the rich man is now already beginning to experience some form of torment. It, we're not at the lake of fire yet. We could do a whole long two-hour lecture on hell. And that's a terrible word that in the sense that you've got four different, right, right, right. Because you've got four different biblical concepts that are all flattened into the English word hell. Thank you, King don't, James. Yeah, don't go there. I'm not don't going there tonight. Go but we see this Abraham's bosom and we see this consciousness after death, whatever this is. There's example number one. Example number two. Wait, wait, wait. Is it the thief on the cross? A for Steve. All right, go ahead. Example number two is when Jesus is hanging on the cross, which is rich in symbolic language because literally, get this, he's hanging between heaven and earth Absolutely. as he pays the price of our sin. That's right. It's very deliberate. It is highly symbolic that Jesus dies suspended in the air, outstretched. And so as Jesus is hanging between heaven and earth and in his final breaths, this thief next to him, one of them has rejected him and mocked him. In fact, earlier, it says that both of them were mocking him. So at some point, one of these thieves has a change up. of heart. He wakes up. And he wakes up and he repents with his dying breaths. He repents. And Jesus turns to him and says, today you will be with me in paradise. So I see this second glimpse where there's some sort of glance Beyond the veil, if you will, there's some sort of consciousness, my opinion, and all through Christian history, this has been debated and Christians don't agree on this, so don't make it a test of fellowship. But with these two glimpses from the Gospels, I believe that there is some interim state, for a lack of a better word, between the cessation of our current physical body and when heaven touches earth at this second coming in this new Jerusalem, and there's some form of consciousness, and what all happens there, and what that is, and what's going on, and argue with Jesus, we don't, we know. don't know. Yeah, And we, it doesn't we, we, matter, because the rest of the New Testament points forward 
to Revelation 21 and 22, where there is a new heaven and a new earth, and it's a physical material new heaven and new earth where we dwell forever with Jesus. And That's that comes in. into being after the resurrection. And so yes. whatever, physical whatever the, resurrection. Right. So whatever the interim state where your body is is dead, it's decaying, it's di- it's gone. And yet you still have a being, you still what consciousness, whatever that consciousness, is. Where are you? The point is, is where we start getting definitive answers is when there's been a resurrection back to a physical existence without yeah. sin in this new place. And Sister Betty, your question is excellent about will we not have learned to make our will match his? You point us in the right direction that the reason we serve him now and why it matters now is because of that. However, if free will exists, it still leaves us with that pernicious little thing about obedience. And I got to be honest with you, folks, I've been pastoring for 25 years and I'm still not totally obedient. And if I can be very ornery, neither is Sister Betty. All right. I love you, Sister Betty. Don't get don't get mad at me now. We all are struggling. We all struggle our will into control. We are listen to this present, active, ongoing, present tense language. We are being redeemed. Absolutely. It is an ongoing process throughout our lifetime. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And I just want to pride myself on the fact that I actually got through all of the questions. And so, Mariana, I am not answering your question, but you need to go and you need to read in Ephesians and you need to go and read in 2 Corinthians about the sealed. And that'll tell you when you are sealed. My simple answer is you're sealed by the Holy Spirit. That's part of how the ownership occurs. That's part of how you know that you are his. Uh, That was a question that was tied in there. Guys, we have hit the top of the hour, but Desi, I have jammed, shoehorned, and worked every question in. Well, thank you. Except Scott just asked one. Scott, you have access to Desi. That question gets asked directly offline. Ladies and gentlemen, (laughs) I am calling. It's not quite as fast as Lila, but I was trying to talk almost as fast as Lila tonight. So I could get as much in as I You were rolling. You were good. Yeah, I, when you didn't put up scriptures, and I'm like, okay, he's 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 clipping. When he's already drawn his stick figures ahead of time, he's been planning for this, folks. It's been a great Bible study. I hope that you've enjoyed. Thank you this. so much for joining us tonight. Absolutely, and I hope that this, on. along with all that we've done, we've got one more, which is tomorrow night. I don't even know who it is. Don't say it. But we've got okay. one more broadcast tomorrow night that deals with from eternity to eternity. We've tried to give this a very well-rounded, coming from different angles treatment. Right. If you just joined us tonight, you're welcome to go back to that newrqpc.info page. Go to our Click media on that page. media card. You can find all this whole find series. All of these, and you can listen to the last two weeks. It starts on a Saturday and comes all the way through. And then uh, Friday night, we'll have a Friday night with friends. We're looking forward to that time together as well. So without any further ado, I'm going to release you all and say thank you. God bless you. If you'd like to partner with us in giving, or if you'd like to submit a prayer request or a praise report, if you need to be baptized, you haven't been baptized in Jesus' name, we would love to have you do that. All of that can happen, newrqpc.info. I know we repeated every broadcast at the start and at the finish. And when you walk into the church, guess what's on the wall? Newrqpc.info. So go make yourself available to that. Right. And for the rest of you, Desi, thank you for a great Bible study. Mm-hmm. Thanks, everybody, for being with us. God bless. We'll God see bless you again you. tomorrow night, and we'll be there live on Friday night, 7 o'clock. God bless you all. Good night. Have a good